So that doesn't count as some of my time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> good morning, everybody. It's always uh, a privilege and an honor to, to share God's word uh, this morning with you. I'm going to use uh, start with kind of a question or a phrase, and, and not sure. Uh, it was a phrase that I often heard growing up, probably because I'm into sports, but maybe there's different phrases if you're from different cultures or, or different countries. Uh, we use this thing in Canada is, has anybody ever gone to bat for you? Does anybody know that phrase? Well, has anybody ever, if you think about it, has anybody ever stood in your place? Maybe, maybe taken the heat for you, or maybe, maybe even as far as a punishment. I don't know about siblings. I doubt that siblings, all the siblings are here saying, no, I wouldn't step in for my brother or my sister, right? But this idea of going to bat for somebody, and as I was preparing this message, I started to think about some of the stories where people went to bat for me, and the first one that I remembered was in, and I may have shared this, but in, in college, I was in an English class, and I've probably shared that, that school isn't actually my forte, so it's kind of, I'm not sure if comical is the right word. We'll use that it's God's plan that I'm actually a teacher, but I was in this English course, and, and again, I was doing these essays and these papers all on my own. I was handing them in, and, and the marks weren't that great, and I had roommates that obviously were a lot better at these things, and I had this roommate, Chris, who was this amazing student, like uh, GPA in the States, 4.0 and all that sort of stuff, and I said, hey, I got this big paper, can you look it over? And so we sat together, and, and he worked on it, and he helped me, he said, okay, change this, and, and work through this, and I was like, oh, and I submitted it, and I felt really good about it. Well, shortly after, I got an email, and the, the professor says, hey, can you, can you come in, and to my office? I just want to chat about your, your essay. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, it's this A-plus essay, and I'm just I'm feeling so good. And I sit down. The first thing she says, she says, did you write this? And I looked at her like, this is not going how I thought it was going to go. She said, you know, the way it's structured and the sentences, it's a lot better to be honest, than the other ones you've submitted. And so I said to her, I said, well, my roommates helped me and, and we worked through it. And you could tell that she, she didn't believe me. And so we're having this conversation, this dialogue, and I'm trying to plead my case here. And I said, you can absolutely talk to my roommate. And so she did do that. And my roommate talked to her about it. And he went to bat for me and said, no, 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 we did it together. And I unfortunately still got a D, but it was a pass because I don't think she really believed me. And then there was another story that I remember this morning of, of as I grew up on a, on a sports team. And I had this coach that was a really strict coach. And I actually needed that. I needed to know that he was trying to teach me how to do things better and that I needed to play together as a team. And we actually had some times where I got kicked out of practice. And my parents would come pick me up and say, oh, is practice done early? Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, I wouldn't tell them that I actually got kicked out because I wasn't listening. And years later, actually talking to my parents, they said, you know what? We actually went and talked to that coach to ask how it was going. They went to bat for me because they knew how, how much I cared about it. But they wanted to make sure that everything was going well. They went on my behalf. 
as I was continuing just preparing and planning for this message this morning, um, some of you maybe know uh, a pastor, Mark Clark. He, he was the lead pastor in, in Village for a while, and I believe, sadly, he went down to the States. No, right? Don't go down there. Stay in Canada, right? But he was talking about a similar story to the one that I mentioned in one of his books. He was talking about how he, he was gifted in writing. And his friend came to him and said, can I borrow your, your paper, your essay? And he said, absolutely. It'll, it'll help guide you. Well, you can see where this is going to go. His friend literally, because I think it was, again, a number of years ago, copied it, right? He couldn't just copy and paste it, but he copied it word for word, and he turned it in, and he got a really good mark, and he was really happy about it, but then all of a sudden, his conscience got the best of him, or actually, maybe conviction happened to him, and so what happened was, is he went to Mark, and he said, you know what? I'm sorry I have to tell you that I copied it, and I turned it in. And so what Mark sees is, is he sees his whole career, his, his, his career flashing before his eyes, like, I'm going to get kicked out because we've cheated, and they take that very seriously. Well, what happens is they didn't get kicked out, but years, years later, he finds out that he had become friends with a professor in that university, and what he did is he went to the tribunal, the group that was going to kick them out, and he went to bat for them. He stood in for them when they didn't deserve it. And as Mark reflected on this, he says this. Mark Clark says this. He says, this is the first hint of what the cross is all about. Jesus going to bat for us. Taking the heat so we don't have to. To take the condemnation that's justly coming our way. And so, friends, this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus goes to bat for us. And we are going to spend some time in the book of Romans. So if you want to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. But first, it's important that we back up just a little bit. Because... Many of you know that there are so many important things in this book that Paul brings up before chapter 6. And this idea that maybe some of you have heard, or, or if not a refresher and a reminder, this word justification. And it's a super important topic that we know and we understand. So the summary of what justification is, and it briefly, is this idea that as we read through the first five chapters of Romans, Paul comes to explain the most comprehensive explanation on justification, on grace through faith. That it's, that it's apart from works and from the law. This idea of this amazing extreme grace that Christ's obedience, not ours, is the ground of justification. God reckons us righteous. He accepts us, not because of the deeds by us, but by him. But because of the deeds done by Christ in his righteousness, which it talks about in Romans chapter 5. And so as we continue in the book and moving into chapter 6, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We, 
I believe that as we unpack this chapter, this is one of the biggest things in the Christian life. This is a significant chapter. There's obviously many significant chapters in the Bible, but this is one of them. And it actually connects to those, even if you find yourself this morning here, not in a relationship with Jesus. Because you know why? Because this is the only way that we can be saved, is through a relationship with Jesus. This is the only way. And so, turn with me to Romans 6, verse 1. Let's pray before reading God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is, it is living and it is active. And so, Father, as, as we open your word, we just pray that, that you would, as a word was shared, do some surgery this morning to remove anything that is not of you, Lord God. That you would work in our hearts right now, Father, to stir and to, to heal, to bring light to this topic that Paul shares with us that is so significant to set us free, to, to show us what Christ has done for us. And so as we open God's word, we just thank you for it. And we, we just ask you would do something in our lives through it. Amen. The first thing that I want to highlight is I want you to look for the word no. This first section that we're going to break down is Paul just showing us that he wants us to know something. Verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So Paul is, is unpacking some, some pretty deep things. And you could actually spend a whole series just on some of these verses. There's so much in here. But you see, Paul first starts with this idea that we do not have a license to sin. And, and my first thought was, okay, well, what is the significance of, of why not? He just says there's, there's grace for us in this time. Well, why not? And just some simple ideas. Number one, why can we not keep sinning? Number one, it destroys the moral fabric of our lives. Maybe you've experienced, like I've had, that it cools the Spirit's voice in your life. That, that the things that aren't, the, you're doing that aren't according to God's will in your life, it, it starts to, to creep in to be normal, doesn't it? You start to suppress the Spirit. And I, I know in my own life, and I've shared this before, the, the addiction and the, the problem with pornography in my life, you, it just kind of became like it was normal. It was just something people did. But that's not what God had called me to. You see, it was destroying the fabric. It, it was destroying the, the thing that the Holy Spirit was, was showing me and trying to tell me that, Nathan, this isn't for you. 
This isn't, this isn't leading you into, into healthy relationships. And so the second thing that I see in this is that sin violates God's purpose for us. He's called us for so much more. So much more. There's so much more for you and there, there's so much more for me, friends. That there is so much more in, in relationships, like I just said, than, than what I was viewing on the screen. It wasn't fulfilling what God knew would fulfill. Him. Faith in him. Fulfilling that in me. That it violates God's purpose. And three, sinning with the intention of asking for forgiveness drains all sincerity out of repentance. And I know as, as an eldership team, we have young kids and we use this as analogies often, but I was thinking of young kids or, or people who had kids, when you ask and you see it often in playgrounds and, part, and even this morning probably, the little kid hits somebody and you say, say sorry, and they bite their lip and they go to, I'm sorry, and they look at the ground. There's no sincerity there, is there? And so sin has a way of doing that in our lives. That we lose this idea of that we're actually sorry for what we've done. This sincerity, this repentance. Thinking of, of David. When Nathan brought that word to him and it finally sunk in. I can just picture his body language. Lord. I've sinned against you when it connected before it hadn't. Now let's move on to this idea of baptism. And it's, and it's interesting how Paul puts this idea of baptism. And we've talked about it recently just with, as Andy shared about the baptisms that we had at Love Your City, this idea, the Greek word to immerse. But what's interesting in the Bible is that there's actually several types of baptism. There's different ones. And, and so we first talked about this water baptism and being immersed in the water. But you know what? We've talked about this often is there's also a baptism in the Holy Spirit as well. That, that you're covered with the Holy Spirit. That, that you're immersed. But then there's this other one that we don't often talk about. And it's actually, if we look at Mark 10, it actually talks about the baptism in suffering. We don't often talk about that. It's not something we like to, to kind of think about. But actually, this is what Paul is talking about in this section. This idea that, that Jesus died, that we're connecting with this death, and we'll read on. That we are, that we are dead to sin. And, and this can be a tricky topic because some of you maybe are starting to, to track with me and you're like, Nathan, like, is, is he asking for perfection here? Like, what does this look like? How can, how can I do that? What, is it, what does it actually mean that I've died to sin? And the first thing that, that Paul is talking about is he's talking about this word of position. We have positionally changed. Position. That, that our position has changed because of what Christ has done. That, that we can continue to carry a heavy burden of shame as we work out our salvation, but, but our position has changed, friends. 
because of what Christ has done. That, that we are saved. Meaning, no matter what we've done or will do, whatever struggles we're going through, that Jesus covered that with his blood. That Jesus brought that to the cross and he buried it in the ground. Positionally, things have changed when you come into a relationship with Jesus. You see, that, that truth should, should release us from fear, friends. It should enable us to live free. And I know, friends, that in my life, at times, I haven't felt free. But that's because I need to be reminded of the position. I need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me in my life. As I shared at Love Your City that, that friends, I'm no different. I'm a sinful person as well, but I know that I need a Savior. That I know that daily I need to come before him and say, Father, thank you for going to the cross for me. It was my sin. Think about that. The people that put him on the cross, that spat at him, that, that basically said, like, you are not God. You're, you're nothing. He died for them. He died for all of us. That Christ's substitution, that his death paid this penalty on our behalf. That his death and resurrection, friends, is really enough. It is finished. It's finished. It's done. And as I, this week, I've, I've had this song just playing, and, and I share this too. Music for me is, is something I have going all the time. This song about under the blood. I just kept repeating it over and over that we're under the blood. The line in the song talks about when, when I think about my sins, the, the lyric says, I know you're looking at the cross. You're seeing the cross, that we're under the blood, that we're so in it that we cannot get out of his blood. It washes us. And that old song never grows old, does it? What he has done for us. See, friends, Satan wants us to stay in the darkness, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to know that we are free. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know the power and authority that you have when you come to a relationship with Jesus. You know what? He doesn't have the authority. He's defeated. He's defeated. So our identity is changed when we've been dipped in Christ's love, in his blood, in that union. This idea of of the fabric, if you take fabric and you dip it in a solution, in a dye, it completely changes. The color, the smell, lots of things, it changes. Our identity has changed. Our position has changed because of what Jesus has done. That it's once and for all. I've repeated that several times. This is significant. That something dramatic has happened in our lives when we come to a relationship with Jesus. John Stott says this, Sin is us substituting ourselves for God 
while salvation is God substituting himself for us. Jesus came to our world to do a task. And what was that task? To give his life as a ransom for people. This sums up one of the reasons he had to die. He came as a substitute, a sacrifice, a ransom for many. So friends, first we need to know. Next, let's take a look at what we need to consider. Paul shifts and says we need to consider. Verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he is. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we, are also, we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Our old self is dead. Often it talks about, or people may reference this idea of this old man is dead. That old person inside of you is dead when you come to a relationship with Jesus. That old person was crucified when Jesus died. In verse 8, again, Paul makes it clear that he's going back to verse 2. He's saying that the death of Christ is a death to our old self. A psychologist said this. He said, there are dozens of ways to deal with evil in our lives and several ways to conquer it, all of them facets of the truth that only ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered with a willing, living human being. Jesus. When it's absorbed like the blood in the sponge or the spear, it loses its power and goes no further. That's what Jesus did. This section also connects back to what we read in Romans 5, that we are justified because of Jesus' death. That this union can happen because of what Jesus has done. This system of grace understands that this old man in our lives could never be changed without Jesus' death. That it must be put to death. And as I was reflecting on this, I, I thought back to this movie a long, long time ago. Spartacus. Spartacus says this, Kirk Douglas, who played that, said he's an escaped slave for those that know from Rome. And he, he leads this rebellion, and he says this at one point. He says, death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. You see, we are set free from sin because the old man has died with Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. That we are new, that we are new creations, that we are free. 
We are free. We are free. And as we continue to go through this passage, maybe some of you as well have, have read this. And, and you're like, Nate, this, this scripture is a challenging one. I, I'm having trouble with, with some of these verses. You, you don't know kind of my life. You don't know the thought patterns, the things that I have in my life. Well, what is, what is Paul saying with this idea of sin, that, that we've become united with Christ in his death? Can we keep on sinning? How does that work? And again, I, I have found people just helping me clear, clearly dictate what this means. And John Piper sums it this way. He says, it is possible to fall into sinful attitudes and actions without sin being an overarching slave master. That later on, Paul talks about not letting sin be a master over you and I. For we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Being freed from the mastery or enslavement or dominion of sin is not the same as being sinless or perfect. I know it's wordy, but I, being freed from the mastery or enslavement or dominion of sin is not the same as being sinless or perfect. Paul clearly is saying that we have died to sin. We cannot live in or continue in. We sin, but we must understand the reality that has happened to us in this union between us and Christ with his death. Charles Spurgeon sums it up this way, evil enters us now as a stranger and works sad havoc, but it does not abide in us upon the throne. It is an alien, and it is despised, and no more honored and delighted in. We are dead to the reigning power of sin. You see, in our truest position, our truest identity, we are completely finally dead to sin, both its guilt and its power. This is decisive. This is unrepeatable. This is unchangeable. This is the foundation for all our warfare against sin. And we remember this that we've been fully forgiven, that we've been acquitted and declared righteous, justified in our union with Christ by faith alone. That we're delivered from the slavery to sin, that is power from sin, this defining moment when we come to a relationship with Jesus. And as our faith grows day by day, we triumphant, triumphantly reign over sin in our lives. So Paul has talked to us about no, to consider 
And now finally in this scripture, this idea of what should we give or what should we present. Verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So you use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. It's an amazing piece of scripture. This week, I, as I was again planning and preparing and, and this, this show, this documentary came up on Netflix and I've shared a little bit with you that, that Megan wanted me to clarify because my notes weren't that clear that yes, I was born in the 80s because I said I grew up in the 90s and she said, no, you grew up in the 80s. Anyway, yes, I was born in the 80s but grew up in the 80s and the 90s so she was thinking I was trying to cut some years out of you know, my life or something like that. But I saw this documentary and I've shared with you, I, for whatever reason, I have, do have this little rocker inside of me. And so many nights when I was younger, I spent playing the drums and, and trying to emulate these, these artists that I grew up with. And so this documentary came up about Woodstock 99. And some of you, again, I understand, are like, no, it's not like the, the first one and, or whatever. Or there's one in 94 too. But I was like, I, I was like okay, I got I to gotta check this documentary out. And some of you maybe know what happened at that Woodstock. It absolutely fell apart. It was horrible. They overcharged people. They didn't have enough security. They didn't have enough water. The water got contaminated. They were charging people five, six, seven dollars for bottles of water. And guess what? The kids that were there, the hundreds of thousands of people eventually had enough. And they just started to just destroy the premise. They pulled down the walls. They started fires. They, they lit containers on fire. And, and all the media and everybody were getting out of there because they were fearful for their lives. And as I read this piece of scripture and as I watched those scenes, it just sat in my heart to see what happens, our sinful nature, when we allow it to continue. It was so, so sad how dark it became, how violent people became, how, how people began to mistreat people. Oh, that person's doing that, then I can just do that. It's okay. I can speak to that person that way. I can, I can, horrible things. I'll save you from the nitty gritty, but it was bad. And so it just reminded me of what Paul was talking about, that, that we cannot let those sinful desires control us. And that's how I've shared so much about the grace of God. But there's this, again, as Paul is, is saying, and, and somebody else summarizing this, this part talked about, he says, says D.A. Carlson says this, he said, if God had perceived our deepest need to be entertainment... He would have sent an entertainer. If he saw that, that it was money, well, he would have sent, right, somebody to do that. He would have sent a politician. But he perceived it to be sin. 
and alienation from him and others resulting in our death, so he sent a Savior. In verse 13, Paul talks about the members of our body. You see, the members as parts of our bodies, our ears, our eyes, our lips, our hands, our feet, and, and so forth. But this idea, again, a practical one, that we have eyes, do not put them in the service of sin. You have hands, do not put them in the service of sin. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal what that looks like in your life. And he goes on and he talks about this, the instruments, and it could actually be translated into weapons. You see, the parts of our body are weapons in the battle for right living. When we give over our bodies to God and his righteousness, these weapons can be used for good. You see, present these to God. Present these, your lips, your eyes, your mouth to God. I just love how the message summarizes this piece of scripture. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Do not give it the time of day. Do not even run little errands that are connected with the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. And as I close, I invite the worship team to come forward. So we've talked about knowing, we've talked about considering, and we've talked about giving. If you're a Christian here today, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a union with him. And because of this union, you died with Christ when he died. Because you died, you are now free from guilt and the power of sin in your fullest and truest identity. That is your union with Christ. Therefore, I encourage you to reckon, I encourage you to be reminded of this amazing gift this morning. Maybe some of you don't know Jesus. And you know what? You can be in that union today. You can have a relationship with him today. Because I feel like as I've gone through this, there, there for sometimes there can feel like a gap between our own struggles. And, and am I really saved? Like, it can be this war, can't it? This ongoing struggle. But I want you to know, remind you about your position you have in Christ. That he died for you. That shame is from the devil. It's not from God. You see, he wants us to withdraw, doesn't he? He wants us to be on our own. He wants us to feel separated. 
But this is where we, we need each other, where we need the word of God. That it seals in our hearts and in our minds to remind us of who we actually are in Christ. And then for some of you, maybe it's really hard to accept this gift of Jesus today. You maybe be some, someone that's heard this gift and heard this talked about lots. But maybe you don't feel worthy of opening it. You're sitting there and, and you're thinking, you're saying to yourselves, my sins are too many. Nathan, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what, I'm, what I think. You, you don't know what I continue to do. You, you don't know what I'm keeping from my spouse. You don't know what I'm keeping from my boss, from my family. I, I'm a bad person. That Jesus' grace isn't flexible enough to accept me with my flaws. But I hope you hear that I understand as somebody who needs a savior. Jesus had people like us in mind when he was dying on the cross. The truth is that none, and I mean none of us, are worthy of this gift. That's what grace is all about. It's not just free, it's undeserved. And so, our prayer for you this morning is that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. And I'm going to pray over us as the band plays in the back. And I encourage you, just as I've been in this, this scripture a lot this week, just wanting this, this fresh encounter, just be reminding, remind me of the position I have. That Jesus went to the cross. That, that my sin died with him on the cross. And so friends, if you're feeling that this morning, if you're feeling as I shared at the end, just this, this unworthiness, I'm going to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit just renews afresh how much he loves you. And so Father, as, as we come to you this morning, that Father, that, that we surrender to you that we come before you and that, Father, that I just declare that, that none of us are good enough. That being good didn't get us into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's you dying on the cross, Lord God. I thank you for paying that price. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And so, Father, I just pray that you would stir in us, Lord God, that you would encourage us to step forward. in what you've shared this morning through your word. That our sin died when you died on the cross, not only now, but in the future as well. And so, Father, as we begin to worship, as, as others come up and share, Lord God, I just pray for, for a breakthrough, Lord God. I pray for freedom over sin, Lord God, that I pray that sin would not be a master over us, that it would not be on the throne of our hearts, Lord God that it is a defeated enemy, Lord God. And that we would live in that, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.